0: 1 John 5 and verse 10, let's hear the word of the Lord. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you, that believe in the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. Amen. Ending our reading there. Let's look to the Lord, please, just in prayer, a brief prayer before we come and think upon the Word of God. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Father, we rejoice we can come into Thy holy presence. We thank Thee, Lord, we can come in through the veil that is rent. We thank Thee, Lord, that there is a barrier that has been removed by the precious blood of Christ. And we thank Thee for the cleansing. Rejoice in our head, our glorious head who has entered in. And we thank Thee, Lord, for our union with Him. And we draw nigh unto Thee through the blood of Christ's cross. And Lord, we pray that You would draw nigh to us. I pray, Lord, You forgive me of my sin. And I pray, Lord, that You would fill me with the Spirit. I pray, Lord, that You will take the Word and use it tonight for the glory of Thy name. Bless Thy people, O God, as they have gathered. We pray that in all things that the Lord Jesus Himself would receive the glory that is due to Him. So, Lord, hear prayer and accept of our thanks. For this I asked in Jesus' precious and worthy name. Amen. Lack of assurance is a troubling wind that disturbs the inner calm of the soul of the child of God. In 1654, Puritan Thomas Brooks, he wrote, Assurance is a believer's ark where he sits, noah like quiet and still in the midst of all distractions and destructions, commotions and confusions. However, most Christians live between fears and hopes and hang, as it were, between heaven and hell. Sometimes they hope that their state is good. At other times they fear that their state is bad. They are like a ship in a storm, tossed here and there. But it doesn't need to be that way. The prophet Isaiah, he said in Isaiah 32 in the verse 17, And the work of righteousness shall be peace and the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. Where God imputes righteousness, He also adds His peace and assurance. It is true that someone can be saved and doubted. A Christian may go to heaven in the midst of doubt, but that's not certainly what God intends for them. And it's certainly not the way that the journey to heaven is to be enjoyed. All of us as Christians have had times when we doubt, we lack assurance. For some, those times were or are fleeting moments. For some, they last a long time. And for others, well, it's like a way of life for them. And lack of assurance is one of the most common issues that a Christian faces and one of the most common problems that a pastor addresses. Many Christians at one time or another lack assurance of their salvation. They lack the confidence that their sins are fully forgiven and that their place in heaven is eternally secure. And this is a trial that I would say is common to all Christians. Even the great men of God had their struggles in this area. Charles Spurgeon, he said, I must confess here with sorrow that I have seasons of despondency and depression of spirit. And at such times I have doubted my interest in Christ, my calling. My election, my perseverance, my Saviour's blood, and my Father's love. Now here in 1 John chapter 5, we have the climax to which the apostle has been building up the reason why he has written this epistle. We read here in verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. The whole point of everything that he has written is that his readers would know they have eternal life. This is a text concerning assurance. He is ending his epistle here on the note of assurance. At this time, the apostle John, he was approaching 90 years of age when he wrote his This little epistle, and he knew that time was short; he had little time left to live, and these are his parting words. This is what was uppermost in his mind. It was not the political turmoil that would have been going on in the Roman Empire at that time; it wasn 't their social or economic status in the world in which they live. It wasn't uh, the oppression that existed in those days, for slavery was still a thing that was allowed. No, he wanted the Lord's people to know, to be assured that they had eternal life. He wanted them to have the blessed assurance that Fanny Crosby wrote about in her great hymn, which she penned in 1873. And this evening, I want us to begin to deal with the subject of assurance under the heading of Fanny Crosby's hymn, Blessed Assurance. And it may be that there's one here amongst us who finds themselves in the depths of doubt. There's one here maybe who lacks assurance. Well, I trust that this study will be an encouragement to you. So we're going to begin it tonight. So firstly, I want us to think about the definition of assurance. If we're going to deal with any subject... Well, it stands to reason we must understand and we must establish what that subject means. So what is assurance? Well, one dictionary gives a definition of assurance as being certain in the mind, confidence of mind or manner, freedom from self-doubt or uncertainty. Assurance of salvation is therefore the confidence or state of certainty that a Christian has about their own salvation. Alan Kearns, in his Dictionary of uh, Theological Terms, he defines it as the certainty of being in the state of grace. Now, the Westminster Confession of Faith has a chapter that deals with this matter, chapter 18, and it's entitled, The Assurance of Grace and Salvation. Now, there's no way that I will be able to improve on what the Westminster Divines have written concerning this subject, and I want to quote some extracts from our confession throughout this message. So section 1 of chapter 18 of Assurance of Grace and Salvation. And it says this, Hypocrites and other unregenerate men may deceive themselves with false hopes and carnal presumptions about their being in God's favor and about their being saved. Their presumptions will die with them. However, those who truly believe in the Lord Jesus who honestly love him and try to walk in good conscience before him, may in this life be assured with certainty that they are in the state of grace. They may also rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, and they will never be ashamed of that hope. In this life, we can be assured with the certainty that we are in the state of grace. And this is what the Apostle John is writing about here. He is writing to those who believe in the name of the Son of God or Jesus Christ, believers, Christians, those who are born again, that they might know they have eternal life. Now the Greek word that we have translated know here in verse 13, it is not the Greek word, there's a couple of Greek words that mean know, but it's not the Greek word which means to perceive or to have a conception of something in one's mind. It's not this thought about perception or having a concept, but rather it is the word which means to know with a settled and an absolute knowledge. This is more than a concept. A concept is really something in abstract. This is an absolute. This word that's used here, it conveys certainty. It's a word that's used in John chapter 2. If you want to turn back to John's Gospel. John's Gospel chapter 2 and the verse 24. And there it's used actually of Christ's knowledge. And this really emphasizes and backs up this point that it's to know something with a settled and absolute knowledge. John's Gospel chapter 2 and the verse 24. We read there, But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men. It wasn't that Christ had a hunch or a feeling about them. But with certain knowledge, he knew what was in each man's heart. And so this word here, it speaks of, as I said, a settled or an absolute knowledge not having a conception, not having a perception of how this is uh, the way things should be. But this is something that we can have here and now. We can know. That we have eternal life. Now in the authorized version, we find the English word assurance that's used a number of times. Five times it's found in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 21, we read this. He hath given assurance unto all men, and that he have raised them from the dead. Or raised him, sorry, Christ from the dead. Now there, that word assurance, the English word assurance, the Greek word translated into our English word assurance, it really comes from the Greek word that means faith. And, well, that's used in other places and translated faith in the New Testament. But there's four other times that the word assurance appears. The English word appears. Colossians chapter 2 verse 1, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 5, Hebrews 6, 11, and Hebrews 10 and 22. And there, that word there, it comes from a Greek compound word, which means entire confidence, full conviction, completely assured. And you can see that the definition there, it leaves no room for doubt. And this is what this means. We can know, we can have full assurance, we can have complete conviction that we have eternal life. This is what assurance of salvation is. But secondly tonight, not only the definition of assurance, but then we must think about the deficiency of assurance. I've already mentioned that lack of assurance is something that's common among Christians at one time or another. We have been or are deficient in this matter of confidence of being in a state of grace. And the Westminster divines, well, they also acknowledge that as well, let me quote a part of Section Four of Chapter Eighteen, and it says in our confession, the assurances of true believers have off their uh, sorry true believers have off their salvation may be shaken, lessened, or interrupted for various reasons. Nevertheless, they are never completely without God's seed. The life of faith, the love of Christ and of all our believers, and a sincere heart and obedient conscience, out of which the Spirit may revive this assurance in due time, and by which they are in the meantime kept from complete despair. Now, I left out a little section because I really want to expand on what we find there in our confession. I want to give you a number of reasons why people are deficient in this matter of assurance. Why is it that people lack assurance? Well, I've it here to bring before you. Firstly, number one, ignorance. Many people lack assurance because they do not understand or they're ignorant of the fact that salvation is an utterly, divine, totally sovereign work. You see, assurance is built upon the historical reality of what Jesus Christ has accomplished. It's not a feeling or state without reason. And you will never have the subjective feeling of assurance until you comprehend, until you understand the objective truth of the gospel. And this is the primary reason behind the lack of assurance. People not understanding the gospel, not understanding what Christ has accomplished. For example, those saved out of a legalistic background. Well, they often lack assurance until their knowledge of the grace and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ increases in them. So number one, ignorance. That's why people lack assurance. But number two, guilt. Other people lack assurance because, well, they feel guilty. They can't accept forgiveness. They're troubled by their emotions and they feel that, well, they've either been too bad to be forgiven, or they've, else, uh, they've done something that is too bad to be forgiven. Why is this? Well, we have still a conscience. And a conscience, well, the conscience that only knows about guilt and conviction, that's when the conscience speaks. The conscience knows nothing of grace and mercy. We still possess a conscience. Also, we have to say that holiness and justice, they too would speak against forgiveness. They focus on sin and and they know nothing of excusing it, rather punishing it. And we know much about these things. And here is an area, guilt, of sins that have been forgiven, yet still coming to our mind. It's an area where Satan will try to take advantage of because he is the great accuser of the brethren. Puritan Thomas Brooks, to quote him again, "...such is Satan's envy and enmity against a Christian's joy and comfort that he cannot but act to the utmost of his strength to keep poor souls in doubt and darkness." Why does he do that? Well, Brooks goes on to say, "...Satan knows that assurance is a pearl of such price that will make the soul happy forever. He knows that assurance makes a Christian's wilderness to be a paradise." He knows that assurance begets in Christians the most noble and generous of spirits. He knows that assurance is that which will make men strong to do exploits, to shake his tottering kingdom about his ears, and therefore he is very studious and industrious to keep souls off from assurance. And he does it by accusing them of sins forgiven. And that's another reason, pretty major reason, of why People lack assurance. The chief tactic of the devil, one of them at least, is accusation. Number three, uncertainty. Some Christians, they lack assurance because they do not know the exact time of their salvation. They can't remember when they believe. Maybe you're like that. Some can't remember ever not believing. And that's especially true maybe of little children who are brought up in a Christian home. They can't pinpoint the exact moment. Therefore, they doubt if that ever really occurred. But you know, if you didn't know the date of your actual physical birth, you wouldn't doubt or you wouldn't wonder if you're alive. Far too much time has been made of isolating the moment in an individual's life. By some little formula or whether a certain prayer was prayed or the signing of a decision card or the walking down the aisle. It's not really the time that's important uh, to know. Rather, it is important to know that you have passed from death onto life. There is a moment in time. There is a specific time when salvation occurred. And that's when the soul, the individual, was regenerated by the Spirit of God. But many people maybe can't remember the exact time. Or they think it's around a certain time. And that's why uncertainty and lack of assurance creeps in. The important thing to know is not the time, but that you're alive in Christ Jesus. Number four, temptation. Another reason why Christians lack assurance Is that they feel the pull and the draw of temptation upon the flesh, and they wonder if they ever had or have a new nature or a new principle of life within? But you know, as Christians dwelling in a fallen world, we groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of the body. Romans eight, verse twenty-three. It's then that we shall be free from all temptation. However, until our glorious liberty comes we will be occasionally drawn into the battle of Romans 7 or Galatians 5. The battle between the flesh and the spirit. Doing what we don't want to do. And not doing those things that we do want to do. And it's then that the Christian can lack assurance. And then they begin to wonder, Did I repent enough? Was I sorry enough for my sin? Do I have enough faith? If I had a new nature, new principle of life within me, if I truly was a new creation in Christ Jesus, why why is this, this drawn, this pull upon this flesh? Well, the reason is we are waiting for the redemption of the body. It can be easy to read Romans 7 in an imbalanced way, focusing only on the truths in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, or, O wretched man that I am. And if that happens, the Christian becomes introspective. They look within. And that's when lack of assurance comes, because they forget to look to the one who gives them the victory, the Lord Jesus Christ. Temptation. Number five, trials. Some Christians become spiritually unstable They lack assurance because they can't trace the hand of God in all their trials. And it's in times of trials where that old question arises, if God loved me, if I truly was a child of God, why? But to go down that route, and I have to say that's an easy route to go down, and I don't judge any. But to go down that route... And that course, it actually misses one of the key reasons of the trial. Go to Romans chapter 5. And rather to rob a child of God of assurance, it is to build up and increase their assurance. Romans 5 And the verse 1, therefore being justified by faith. So here's the believer, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And here it is, and hope maketh not ashamed. Those tribulations are to work in us a hope or an assurance of which we will not be ashamed. Number six, why do people lack assurance? Disobedience and sin. Unrepentant sin is a major cause of the lack of assurance. The Holy Spirit, He is the one who is the agent of the divine trinity who brings this assurance to the soul. And while the Holy Spirit, He's grieved by our sin. And therefore we say that assurance will be in a low degree in the brother or sister who is unconfessed or unrepented sin in their life. Take David for an example. He had a miserable existence, Christian experience for 18 months after his sin with Bathsheba and after his murder of Uriah, her husband. He lived without joy. And therefore he had to pray in Psalm 51, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. If you're a Christian and you're living in conscious sin, your assurance is going to flee from you because assurance is not given to those who are consciously disobedient to a holy God. One man said, High degrees of assurance cannot be enjoyed by those who persist in low levels of obedience. Number seven. Strong preaching. Another reason why people lack assurance. And this is maybe uh, one that's not often thought about. But some lack assurance because they are under the strong biblical preaching of God's holy standard. And such preaching, it forces people to see their sinfulness and acknowledge that the holiness of God calls them to a lofty standard of living. Now, this is not bad, not a bad thing. Convicting preaching is what we need in our pulpits. There are many today, and they are, well, they're under pulpits with a false assurance because their manner of living is not confronted by preaching or a high and a holy standard of God. Now, the call to righteous living may unsettle some Christians, particularly those who are frequently succumbing to temptation, And that can lead to a lack of assurance. But you know, that can be used as a chastening tool in the hand of God to bring them into assurance, to get them to examine their lives. It's right and proper to get people to examine themselves, to make sure that their assurance is valid. There's a danger in preaching concerning this. And this is really a prayer request for the pulpit here in Ballymena, that the preaching is preserved from becoming imbalanced, where believers are never encouraged. They're never pointed to Christ. And the power of His blood and the victory of His cross and the guarantee that we shall someday be perfect like Christ, brought into full conformity of the Son of God. And therefore, there's a balance needed in preaching. It shouldn't always be the whip or the scourge. But there needs to be this encouragement, the continual pointing to Christ. Our victory is in Him. And so that's something I ask you to pray about. Strong preaching at times can bring a lack of assurance. Number eight in this point, neglect of the means of grace. And I'm going to develop this really in the next study. But suffice to say, some lack assurance because they neglect the Word of God. prayer. Even absence from the fellowship and the company of God's people where the word is preached and prayer is offered. Here are the eight major reasons why some lack assurance. Thirdly and finally this evening, the duty of attaining assurance. So the definition of assurance and then the deficiency of assurance and now the duty of attaining assurance. Again, I want to quote from chapter 18 of the Westminster Confession of Faith, this time section 3. This infallible assurance is not so essential to faith that a true believer may not have doubts and conflicts about it, possibly wait some time for it, and grow into it. But since the Spirit enables believers to know the things which are freely given to them by God, Every believer may come to a full assurance of salvation by the ordinary working of the Spirit without unusual revelation. Therefore, it is every believer's duty to establish the certainty of his calling and election so that his heart may be filled with peace and joy in the Holy Ghost with love and thankfulness to God and with strength and cheerfulness of obedience. These are the true products of assurance which is never conducive to an undisciplined life. So it is the duty, as it says there, it is the duty of every believer to establish the certainty of his calling and election. Now, since the theology of Arminianism teaches that you can lose your salvation, they can never truly enter into the blessedness of full assurance. Now they would speak about momentary assurance. And you take the words of Romans chapter 8, verse 16, with the Spirit witnessing with our Spirit. But that is contrary to their theology concerning free will. If they are at any time free to reject the witness of the Spirit, then they can have no assurance as to whether they truly are the Lord's. They are many, and on the basis of their own theology, cannot have assurance of even momentary salvation, never mind eternal salvation. And that's their own theology. They speak about free will, that man's born in equilibrium, man has power to choose. But well, we know from Scripture that man was created with concreated holiness. He was created inclined to God. When he sinned, that inclination is away from God. But Dominians would teach semi-Pelagianism, that basically man is in equilibrium. He's free to choose here and there and do whatever. Well, if that is the case, well, if he's saved and he's still free to choose whatever, well, then he can choose to turn away from God, apostatize from God, fall from grace. That's an impossibility. As a man is saved, he's renewed in the image of Christ. He's inclined again unto God, given that new heart. So their own theology, they cannot have full assurance. What about the Roman Catholic Church? Well, the Council of Trent in the mid-1500s declared it anathema to say, and I quote, really the church put a curse upon people, that a man who is born again and justified is bound off faith to believe that he is certainly in the number of the predestined. Modern Roman Catholic teaching upholds that position. Rome's denial of the assurance of salvation is consistent with its concept of the nature of salvation. Since it conceives of a salvation that is a joint effort by man and God, something that's maintained through the performance of good works, or their rites, or their rituals, whatever they want to say, well, really it concludes that the believer cannot be absolutely sure of their own salvation. And why is that? Why? Because if my salvation depended on God and me, I might mess up and men still sin. Since, since salvation can never be assured, and since it needs to be maintained, this keeps Rome's adherence under her heel and in the bondage of a works religion. And that is not the liberty of the gospel that is promised in the Scripture. Now with that said, what about us? We're Reformed. Assurance of salvation is the birthright. It is the privilege of every true believer. This is something to be desired after. It is something to be sought after. It is something that is possible in this life. The Apostle Paul said with assurance, I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. God wants his children. He intends for his children to have a genuine assurance that they have eternal life, that they're his, that they're born again, that their sins are forgiven, that they're on their way to heaven. And this is not only the duty for the child of God, for the individual, it's also a necessity. Why? Why? Well, we don't want to be guilty of presumption by laying claim to something that we do not have. We read in 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5, Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith, prove your own selves. Peter writes in 2 Peter 1 verse 10, Brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. Why? Well, it's because the Word of God is filled with warnings about false professors. The Lord Jesus Christ Himself said in Matthew's Gospel, Many shall say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, and He'll answer them, I never knew you depart from me. Since the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, people can be easily deceived. Therefore it is our duty to establish the certainty of our calling and election. When this is established, certain blessings flow. The confession speaks of those blessings. And we'll come to that next time. The delight of assurance. But let's go back to John, 1 John 5. Because even in this portion that we have read tonight, we see one of those blessings. And as we come to prayer in a few moments, we notice that the confidence of salvation and that which gives us that confidence is the basis for our confidence in supplication, the confidence of our salvation, and that which gives us our confidence is the basis for our confidence in supplication. Look at verse fourteen and fifteen. Verses fourteen. Now come after verse thirteen. Let's read verse thirteen again. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know ye have eternal life. Confidence. Of salvation, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And, there's a conjunction, that's a connecting word. It all flows in, and this is the confidence that we have in Him. Here's confidence in supplication. That if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us, why does He hear us? Because we're His children we're justified, we're brought nigh, we're adopted into the family. His ear is open unto our cry. And if we know that He hears us whatsoever we asked, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. I mentioned the other night hindrances uh, to uh, answered prayer. And one of those is unbelief. Surely unbelief in our own standing before God is one of those aspects of unbelief. Not only unbelief in the power and the promises of God, but unbelief in our own standing. Surely that's a hindrance in our prayers. Having confidence of our salvation, it leads to confidence in our supplication. Tonight we've begun to look at this subject of blessed assurance. The definition of it, the deficiency of it, And the duty of attaining it. God does not want his children to live in the lowlands of doubt and despair. Breathing in the heavy air of unbelief. No, he wants us. He desires us to rise up into the heavenlies. To breathe the fresh air of heaven. In the sure and certain confidence that we have eternal life. And that we can truly say, I am his and he is mine. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts for his own name's sake. Let's just bow in a brief word of prayer and then we'll sing. And we'll continue on with this study next time, Lord willing. And this will get us into really the meat of where our assurance comes from is founded in and how it comes to us by the agency of the Spirit and and all the rest of the light of assurance. And the joy of living, in the confidence that we are the Lord's. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Father, Lord, we confess to Thee there's been times in our life we doubt, we've lacked assurance. And Lord, there's reasons for this. And Lord, we've had them listed tonight. Guilt, uncertainty, ignorance, disobedience and sin, neglect of the means of grace, Lord, all these different things, temptation, trial. Lord, we thank Thee that Thou art merciful, Your loving Father. And Lord, You don't want us to remain in that position. but Lord, You've given us every encouragement in the revelation of Thy truth. We thank Thee, Lord, that we can sing wholeheartedly, believing the doctrines of grace, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, the purchased of God, born of His Spirit, and washed in His blood. Father, help us now as we seek to praise Thy name, for we ask in Jesus' precious name with thanksgiving. Amen.